Last week, if you're here, you remember Paul Jeffries spoke on the chronicles of the unready, uh, or he shared with us a little bit, you know, to kind of go along with the series, what Christmas has become. That is like examples he gave of Gideon and Saul and Peter and Martha. We're running around thinking of a hundred different things, and so very easily it takes away from us being able, we miss out on truly experiencing the Lord himself at this time of year. We're just going through the busyness and the routine of a celebration because it's just what we do, but we kind of miss out on what we're truly celebrating. That's what Christmas is today, unfortunately. Lots of activity, lots of running around. But it makes you wonder, has Christmas always been celebrated this way? Or, or has it changed over time? Has the way Christmas been celebrated changed? What exactly is the history behind Christmas? And, you know, should we celebrate the holiday at all? Some think that we shouldn't specifically because of its history. So I just want to take a quick look this morning at what Christmas has been. Looked at what Christmas has become last week. This week, what Christmas has been. That is some of the traditions and where they come from. And then take a look at what Scripture says. As a kid, when it came to Christmas, uh, our family had a few of its own traditions. And one that I remember was that we had this calendar that you would hang up on a door, I believe, and it had a sleeve for each of the different days of the month, and you would take the mouse and move it as the, you know, wake up each day, move the mouse. Did anybody else have any, one of these? Is it just our family? Okay, just us. Okay, well, it was exciting. It, obviously, this was just a way to keep us kids occupied and um, give us something to do while we had to wait the entire month for that little mouse to get to the very end uh, when Christmas came. And of course, if you wanted, you could just pick up the mouse and move them to the very end, which I tried a few times, but it never made Christmas come any sooner. But um, like, you know, like every other kid, it was, it was hard for me to wait an entire month until finally I could sit on the floor and listen to my dad slowly read through all of Luke chapter 2. That and the presents. The presents were very exciting as well. But why December 25th? Is that date in any way connected to the birth of Christ? Now, right away, some people will say, I mean, we shouldn't even consider December 25th because we know that in the story it says, and the shepherds were keeping watch over their flock by night. And of course, it's too cold in December to watch sheep and be outside all night, right? I mean, has there been anyone here who's watched sheep all night in the month of December? See? Case closed. Turns out, though, some shepherds over in other regions of the world actually have. Here's a picture of a shepherd with his sheep on Christmas Day near Bethlehem. You can see the hills of Bethlehem in the background. This picture was taken a little while ago, but a, a college professor of mine and friend took a very similar picture of a shepherd with his sheep on Christmas Day just a few years back. Uh, Again, on Christmas Day, it was right near the hills of, of Bethlehem. And after he took the, his picture, he then went up to the shepherd and asked him, did you just come out with the sheep this morning? And he said, no, actually, I've been out all night. So 
it's probably not a shepherd's favorite time of the year to be outside with his sheep, but it still happens even today. All right, so I'm going to share—I'll share with you here a few traditions, four different traditions as to how December 25th became connected to Christ's birth. Tradition number one, we'll call it priestly order. In Luke chapter one, as it's telling the story of John the Baptist's birth, it says that Zacharias was a priest from the division of Abijah. And that at that time, when he was at the temple serving, the angel appeared and told him that he and Elizabeth would conceive and bear a son. Well, according to Jewish records, some believe that the division of Abijah served in late June. And so that would have been, it's believed, the time, late June, when uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth would have conceived John the Baptist. If that's the case, then we can figure out when Jesus was conceived in the womb of um, Mary, because we know that the angel appeared uh, to Mary, Gabriel appeared to Mary, six months later, says in in the Bible, in the sixth month, referring to her pregnancy. Okay, well, what's six months from late June? Late December. So according to this tradition, Christmas actually celebrates the conception by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary rather than uh, his birth. His birth would have then been nine months later in December, or sorry, September. Uh, From December, he would be conceived, and then nine months later, born in September. All right, tradition number two. This one's related to Hanukkah. This tradition states that when it says in Luke 1.26 that Gabriel appeared to Mary and that Jesus was conceived uh, in Mary in the sixth month, that it's not referring to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Rather, it's referring to the sixth month of the Jewish year. If that's the case, that would be the Jewish month of Adar, which is our February-March. If you then go nine months from that to when Jesus would have been born, you then come to the Jewish month of Kislev, which is our November, December. Also, the um, Hanukkah starts on the 25th of Kislev, that month late in the year. And that is the Jewish festival of lights. That's what they celebrate at that time. And so it's believed that the early church chose the 25th of December to correlate with the uh, 25th of Kislev to celebrate the true light of the world. So they used this date of 25th of Kislev, matched it with uh, December 25th, to celebrate the, uh, the birth of Christ, the true light of the world, uh, which you know, makes sense how they would come to that. And what's interesting, kind of a side note with this, this year, 2016, the 25th of Kislev actually lands on December 25th. And it doesn't happen very often. I think from 2000 to 2050, it only happens twice. And it happens this year. Very interesting. All right, tradition number three. In the first couple centuries after the birth of Christ, there was this very strong belief among Jews that of all the great, when it came to the great prophets, that all the great prophets eventually died on the same day that they were conceived. There was a strong belief, and this belief was called integral age. Well, around 200 AD, a man named Tertullian of Carthage stated that Passover landed on March 25th of the year that he believed Jesus was crucified. So it means that Jesus would have died on March 25th. And if he died on March 25th, then according to this belief in integral age, he also was conceived on March 25th. 
Okay, well then if you go nine months from March 25th, where do you arrive? December 25th. In fact, this belief is so strong that the Catholic Church has long celebrated the Feast of Annunciation on March 25th, the day that they believe the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and announced to her that she would um, conceive and be the mother of Jesus. Okay, one more, the tradition number four, the Star of Bethlehem. And this is the one that really interests me the most. According to the technology and the software that we now possess, you can enter in any time in history and any location on earth, and you can look up into the sky and see what the people at that time and in that location would have seen themselves in the night sky. Well, one person a few years back decided to use this technology to try and look for the star that the wise men would have followed in Matthew 2 um, until it led them actually to Jesus. And while he was looking for it, he discovered that in June of 2 BC, the king planet Jupiter and the planet Venus, called the mother planet, came so close together that it appeared as one extremely bright star in the sky. And so he believes that this is what the Magi saw and what they began to follow and which led them to Jerusalem, believing that the king of the Jews had been born, according to a previous uh, prophecy. And then on December 25th, 2 BC, later that year, December 25th, 2 BC, later that year, Jupiter appears to stop in its travel through the fixed stars. And that's just what it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. It says, And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So therefore, according to this, it is believed that December 25th marks not the day Jesus was conceived or the day Jesus was born, but rather the day the Magi arrived and gave gifts to Jesus and worshipped him. So there you have four Christian traditions as to how December 25th or why it was connected to uh, the birth of Christ. And there's actually at least four more, but I didn't want to spend the whole morning talking about these um, and take more time to go through all of them. But there's four of them. And of course, you may have also heard that there is also, as well, a pagan um, theory that it all started in connection with a pagan holiday. And this theory, for some reason, it has seemed to become more popular in recent years than even the Christian ones I just shared with you. But this one states that the pagans had their midwinter Saturnalia festival in connection with their belief in the rebirth of Mithra on December 25th. And therefore, when the Roman Emperor Constantine apparently converted uh, to Christianity, he then chose to the same date, December 25th, to celebrate Christmas, thinking that if Christmas looked more like a pagan holiday, then more pagans would be, you know, would be open to celebrating it, and then it would help unite his empire. And as a result, it's believed by some that Christmas was first only celebrated by Constantine in 336 AD as an alternative to a pagan holiday. And so some Christians, believing this and wanting to distance themselves completely from that, have not only given up you know, Christmas, but they've, they've entirely given up celebrating Christ and his birth as well. But let me just say this, while we don't know for sure when the birth 
of Christ took place or when he was conceived or when the Magi arrived with gifts, we do know that there are numerous Christian traditions about Christ's birth that are connected to December 25th. And they're all based on evidence that date to before the reign of Constantine. So he likely had nothing to do with it. All right, well, what about the Christmas tree and gift-giving and Santa Claus? What's the history behind these traditions? On the one hand, there may be an ancient connection to other religions in bringing parts of an evergreen tree into your home. But there's also a very Christian tradition to the tree or Christian connection to the tree as well. One belief is that Boniface, an 8th century missionary to Germany and Scandinavia, came across this worshiping of an oak tree in connection with a false god, chopped it down, and then pointed to a nearby evergreen tree and said, here, this is a symbol of Christ, and stated, you know, its leaves are always green, even in the darkest, coldest times of the year. Same way, even in the coldest, darkest times of your life, Christ is always your joy and your hope. Uh, its branches reach out to embrace. Christ is our comfort, and its top points to heaven where Christ is seated on the throne, and he is our guide. So it can be used as a symbol of Christ. But the question is, is that the way that it's being used in your home at Christmas, in our homes? Or has it become one of the main parts of the holiday where all it represents to us is just a pretty tree, a tradition we do, beautiful lights and ornaments, and a lot of gifts all around it? If we're not careful, it can become just another distraction. The history of Santa Claus, it's a little bit more well-known. Of course, we know that it's connected to St. Nicholas or St. Nicholas. Santa Claus is kind of where it comes from. He was a 4th century priest who was very generous and giving and who is remembered at this time of the year. However, what do we have now? We now have this imaginary Santa Claus figure who seems harmless, but usually gets more attention in our homes than Christ does. And in which case, can very easily become the biggest distraction, especially for little children, when it really is all about Christ. And that's also partly where we get gift giving from St. Nicholas and him going on giving gifts. It's also uh, in connection with the Magi. Remember when they, they arrived there um, with, to worship Jesus? They brought gifts. And most importantly, Jesus. He himself is the greatest gift that has been given. And it's his birth into this world that we celebrate at Christmas. But, once again, let's be honest. What's the first What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the words Christmas gift? Is it Jesus? God's greatest gift to us? Christmas gifts should remind us of the gift, at the very least. And then finally, the word itself, Christmas. It comes from the Catholic Mass specifically for, celebrate, or for you know, recognizing the birth of Christ. 
Christ's Mass. So that is a very brief summary of Christmas, its traditions, you know, and why we celebrate it on December 25th. That's where we've come from, or what Christmas has been. What's far, far more important, though, when it comes to Christmas, is not what happened in history, but rather what is happening. You know, this year, in you, in me, you know, what are we thinking about? Where is our mind? What are we really getting excited about? The birth of our Savior is definitely something worth celebrating, without question. He deserves to be worshipped for all that he did for us. You know, whether it's December or any other time of the year, he deserves our worship. In fact, there was a lot of celebration from the very beginning when, he, when Jesus was, you know, born. Right away, there was celebration. If you look in uh, Luke chapter 2, it says, A great host of angels broke out in praise, verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So you have these angels celebrating, praising God. It also says that shepherds, just a few verses after this, shepherds, they praised God for all that they had heard and seen. Later we read that Simeon in the temple held up the baby Jesus and praised God that the Messiah had been born. Then you have Anna the prophetess, who it says she thanked God and told everyone that the Redeemer had been born. And then a little bit later, you have the Magi who fall down and worship Jesus and give gifts to him. So if we have all these examples of angels and humans celebrating the birth of Christ, how is it not appropriate for us to as well? It is a good thing to celebrate his birth. But for them, the date on the calendar wasn't that important. That's partly why we don't know when it happened. There were no trees decorated. There's no wrapping paper, no men in red suits. All 100% of their focus was on Jesus. Christ had their full attention. They were celebrating him, and so should we. In fact, in the angel in Luke 2 said that all of us also would want to celebrate at the birth of Christ. It says in verses 10 and 11, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's us. A great joy for us. If he's your Savior, a great joy is in his birth. And we should celebrate it. So, whether a person chooses to celebrate the long-held traditions of Christmas or their own family traditions is not what's really important. What, import, what is important is Christ. Worshiping Christ in spirit and in truth. Just like it says in John 4, 24. It says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And that simply means to worship God from your heart and according to his word. You can't worship God in truth unless you read 
and meditate on God's word. You just can't. You need to know what he says and what he likes and what he despises and what he's done in history and what he has said about how you should live. If you aren't certain about what the truth of God's word says, then you are leaving yourself open for being misled. And if we're deceived, by definition, we don't even know it. That's what being deceived is. We don't, we're not even aware of it. So we need to worship God in truth by knowing what his word says. Okay, well, when it comes to Christmas, how do we worship God, how do we worship Christ in truth? Well, we know that we're all sinners who deserve eternal punishment. Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. We know that we need a perfect sacrifice to take away our punishment, and that sacrifice is Jesus. Ephesians 5.2 and Hebrews 10.14. We know that only through faith in him will he save us. Romans 10.9. We know that Jesus was born on earth by the power of the Holy Spirit to a virgin about 2,000 years ago. Luke 1.31-35. And we know that angels, shepherds, wise men, and others celebrated the birth of of Christ, Luke 2, 13 to 16 and 20. And so believing these things to be facts from God's word, the truth, in that way we worship God in truth. Because these are the things that we celebrate according to. Okay, now how do we worship God in spirit as well? Because it also says in John 44, 24 to worship God in spirit and in truth. Simple, it means Engaging your mind so much with the truth that it means something to you, that it affects you. Concentrating on the truth and letting God's spirit make it real to you like, and personal. When you really think deep of the truth, you'll be moved. It'll stir your heart. It'll, at that point, it'll be the one thing that you'll want to do is worship Christ. Not just something you feel like you should do. In other words, it means being overwhelmed at how unworthy you are as a sinner. It means being grateful that Christ took your punishment as a sacrifice for you. It means believing with all your heart that he saves you. It means being amazed that he was willing to come to earth and be born as a baby. It means having a great joy like the shepherds, the angels, the wise men, and others. In this way, you worship Christ in spirit. Overwhelmed, grateful, belief, amazement, joy. So to bring, kind of bring all of this together and, and sum up what we've covered this morning, it's not just what Christmas has become that can distract us from truly worshiping Christ and being something that we need to unwrap you know, all the busyness, the running around, the activity. But another obstacle that can get in the way of us focusing on Christ at this time of year is what Christmas has been. That is, the traditions that surround Christmas. And we can get so caught up in following them or so caught up in distancing ourselves away from them so much that we don't even celebrate Christ either. We can go to either extreme. The main thing, though, at this time of the year is the main thing that it's always been. Christ himself, that he came to save us, and that is worth 
celebrating in spirit and in truth. Finally, let me just close with a verse from 1 John. And it's 1 John 4, verse 10. It says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation or a sacrifice to take away our sins. I was reading through the book of 1 John recently, and when I came to this verse, it really caught my attention. It really stood out more than before. Um, and I start, I, when I read it, I thought, wow, that, that is so true. Because if you're going to talk about love, like the, the real love, the true essence of what love actually is, you can't look at our love to God, like the verse says. You can't look at a human's love to God. That's not it. That's not going to ever capture the full meaning of what it means to love. Because if you think about it, in one sense, nothing could be easier than to love God. I mean, think about it. He created us. He surrounds us with family. He provides for us health and food and clothing and a home and friends. It's like it says in James 1, Every good and perfect gift comes from above. All of it. In other words, if it's good, it's from God. And that's not even mentioning that he saves us, he forgives us, he helps us, he comforts us, he strengthens us. He's always faithful. He works everything out for the good. How can we not love him? If we love God, it's only because he first loved us. Okay, now switch things around. Though he created us, we rebel. We sin. We offend him repeatedly. We ignore him. We dishonor him. We lie. We steal. We harm others that he created. We don't think we need him. We want to control our own lives. We refuse his authority. We essentially spit in his face with our secret thoughts and actions. We're constantly rebellious, forgetful. And next to him, we are less than nothing. What is there to love from his standpoint? And yet, he loves us infinitely. And yet, he sent his son to be sacrificed in order to save us and to take away our sins. That is what we are celebrating this time of year. That we understand the real, true, awesome meaning of the word love. Because God loved us. And he sent his son to this earth to take away our sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for, for sending your Son. Thank you so much that even though we are completely unworthy and undeserving of anything good from you, yet you love us because that is who you are. Your love is infinite and unconditional and so great that you would even part with your son 
that he might live a perfect life for us, die an excruciatingly painful, torturous death on our behalf as a sacrifice for us so that we might be brought near to you, so that we might have hope, so that we might be made clean. Lord, thank you so much. I pray that with your Spirit's help, that each one of us, this time of year, would truly celebrate Christ, focus on him, on what he did, what he gave up, the fact that he came here, the life he lived, how humbling the process, that he emptied himself, even to be conceived in Mary and to be born as a baby and to grow. Lord, help us to think of these things and to be amazed, to be stirred in our hearts to worship according to the truth that we read in your word and from our heart, from our spirit, for your glory. Thank you again so much for this infinitely awesome eternal gift through Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.